0: I'm not pulling my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another Drive to Work at Home Edition. Okay, so today I have Gavin Verhey. We're going to talk all about Commander Legends Battle for Baldur Gates Commander Decks. Hey, Gavin.
1: Woo! <laughs> hey, you know it's exciting with your commander? A side of commander, right? That's right. With the main set this time around, we also made four Commander Decks full of uh, some cool stuff we couldn't put in the main set. So uh, I got to lead design them, which was a blast, and I can't wait to talk about them today. Okay, so what what was the, the guiding principle in making these Commander Decks? Yeah, great question. So what we wanted to do was we did a, we looked at the main set. and we We're like, okay, we want to try to figure out two things. We want to do some things that are tied into what the main set is doing. So it makes sense. It can combine with the main set, enhance what the main set is doing, and not, and not blowing out all the way. But we also, one of the bigger things for us was let's look at what the main set can't do, what it isn't doing, and try and make some commander decks based on those themes. Um, so we did it basically half and half. We have two commander decks that have themes that aren't anywhere in the main set. We thought what it would be really, really awesome to do here. Um, then we have two commander decks that are tied in a little more closely, two themes you'll find in the main set. Um, and I think it's a good little split, and we ended up with four uh, four total decks. And there are definitely is some, I've got a lot of feedback from people. These are different themes than they are used to. They're quite different, and uh, they're really excited about that. Okay, so let's, I'm going to start with the two themes that are
0: not in the set. We'll start with those. Um,
1: so
0: the two themes that, oh, go ahead. Okay, so, well, I, I, was, so what, I talked with Glenn a couple weeks ago, and he talked about how they tried to do something, and they couldn't. it couldn't work out in the main set. And then he's like, oh, but Gavin found a way to do it. So I was going to start there just because the audience has heard that talk. So let's talk about Party. How did Party get its own deck?
1: Yes, totally. So, you know, I was, in addition to lead designing these decks, I was also on the design team. I worked on the vision team with Glenn and on the set design team with Corey. I, I, given that I led the first Commander Legends, it made sense for me to be there as like a, a guiding hand on some of this. And um, early on, Glenn was trying out Party and then, uh, a new mechanic he called Mega Party, uh, which incorporated a lot of different uh, D&D classes, right? You let your bards and whatever join the party. Um, and what we found was, ultimately, it was really challenging to build into a set. Because you have to get all your creature types just right for it to work. And in drafting, there's a lot of complications, a lot of big challenges. And so we kind of made the executive decision that it was not going to work out for the main set. But I thought, well, hey, wait, wait a second. I got these four commander decks, and Party is super resonant, right? In fact, one of the biggest notes I got on Adventures in the Forgotten Realms was, where's Party? It makes so much sense here. So I was like, well, I not know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to put Party in as one of the commander decks. And um, it slotted in, and everyone loved it immediately. There was no, no questions. In fact, the only question was, what colors should it be? Um, and the way these decks were all structured is they're all two-colored decks, because we wanted to use uh, the choose-a-background mechanic. There's a uh, choose-a-background partner pair in each of them, which is a new mechanic in the set. Um, so we knew they were all going to be two colors because the, the backgrounds are all one, two mono-colored cards. So um, we, we had to figure out which two colors it was going to be, and we looked at, you know, white-blue and white-green and some other stuff, but ultimately settled on white-black white, as uh, as the direction here and came up with this cool uh, commander, Nalia Derenice. So why don't you say what Nalia does? Totally. So Nalia is pretty exciting. It's a three-mana 3-3. Three, three. Uh, you can look at your top card at any time. And you can cast the top card of your library if it's a one of the four party types, so it's wizard, rogue, warrior, or cleric. So it's future sight for party types. And then at the beginning of your combat step, if you have a full party, you get to put a plus one plus encounter on all your creatures, and they all get death touch this turn. So she's an assassin in the game of Baldur's Gate. Um, so you uh, want to give her a death touch ability to match that. But This card is super exciting to me for a few reasons. First of all. Three-mana Future site uh, for your uh, party types. This is really exciting and powerful. A lot of cool stuff that you can build there. But one of the things I really liked about it that was subtle from a design perspective is that you can play this as your Cleric Commander or your ro- Warrior Commander. You don't have to do the full party thing at all if you don't want to. If you want to just have this as your Cleric uh, Commander and Future site Clerics off the top of your library, you can. So I'm always interested in Commander decks where there's a few different ways to build them. And here, yeah, you can build the party deck you could also build some of these classes together or go heavier on one than the other or or what have you. And and that's pretty exciting to me.
0: Yeah, white-black is interesting. I mean, one of the things we did way back in original uh, Zendikar Rising was kind of divvy up where all the different creature types were. So did you guys go back and look at Magic's past to see, like, what colors had the most
1: clerics, rogues, warriors, and wizards? Yeah, yeah, we went back and looked. And, uh, you know, some colors were going to be more of a challenge than, than others. Like, for example, in white... There's so few uh, rogues to choose from, right? You don't get a lot of white rogues. So immediately, like, from off the bat, we were like, okay, we know we're going to need to make, you know, look into making some white rogues potentially for this product um, to help, help balance that out. But white and black gives a good spread of all four types. And um, the one other thing we could do as a little cheat here is we could pick a class to put on our face commander that was the hardest one to get. So as you'll note here, Nalia is a rogue, and we're like, well, White doesn't have a lot of rogues, but if we if we make the face commander a rogue, that won't be a problem because you'll always have access to a rogue. So that's kind of a little cheat you could do here with the commander.
0: So any other interesting little tidbits about the party deck?
1: Yeah, well, so uh, there's a a few things. First of all, it was the only white deck of our product, and we've been trying to do a lot on the commander side to give white more awesome tools. And so we made some pretty spicy uh, white cards that are in this deck. There's Folk Hero, which is a a background. So every deck, like I said, has one background pair. And so you've got Folk Hero, which says uh, it's a background. It says, commander creatures you own have whenever you cast a spell that shares a creature type with this creature, you draw a card. And this ability only triggers once each turn. So it's really good for your, your Creature Type Matters decks. Um, so a lot of folks just want to pick up this card for their Angel deck or whatever. But then the other commander, Burakos, has all of the party types. It's, a, it's an Orc for uh, four mana. He's also a Cleric, Rogue, Warrior, and Wizard. And whenever he attacks, the Defending Player loses X life and you create X treasure tokens, where X is your party size. So in this deck if you have folk hero and burricose together, you'll draw a card every time you play basically any creature in your deck. But if you go you can take this folk hero card and put it in a lot of other places, which is one of the things I think is really exciting about the about the mechanic is the interchangeability. But anyway, so a lot of exciting white cards, including that and then a the deep gnome Terramancer, which is a card um, I, I designed and immediately was like players are gonna love this. It's a two mana two two with flash and it has a mold earth Whenever one or more lands enter the battlefield under an opponent's control without being played, you may search your library for a planes card, put it onto the battlefield tapped, and then shuffle. Do this only, only once each turn. So it's like um, anytime someone cracks a fetch land or ramping growth, you get a planes out of your deck, um, which is very powerful. So we put a lot of juice in the in the white cards here um, because it was the only white cards we had access to in the commander decks. Uh, other than that, I mean, this deck is just really interesting because it's very on board. You know, normally a lot of commander decks are not about going wide with creatures, and this deck goes really wide with its creatures. You want to hit your party, of course, and then has enough gas that after, you know, you get swept, you can play stuff back out again. Um, My my favorite card in the deck is uh, called Stick Together. It's a five-mana sorcery, and it says each player chooses a party from among the creatures they control and then sacrifices the rest, right? So in this deck, you're like, I had to keep my full party. Like, i had to include Eric, Rogue, Warrior, and Wizard. But in every other deck, maybe they get to keep one creature or something, and there was a lot of fun in playtesting, learning things like niv is a wizard or whatever, right, where um, it was like you, people get to keep these funny creatures around. So that's a card I really, really enjoyed. Okay, so we have our white-black deck. So you said there were
0: two decks that were playing themes not in the main set. What was the other one?
1: Right, so the other one is... Um, so we looked ahead to Baldur's Gate 3. We're thinking about Baldur's Gate 3, and it's not out yet, but if you play through the bit that has been released, the like, early access pieces of it, you'll know that Mind Flayers play a pretty big role in Baldur's Gate 3. And we thought, well, there's not really enough support. You know, we are looking at, at other creature types that we could make matter. And we looked at like, Beholders, for example, but there's so few Beholders in Magic, where you just have a couple from Adventures in the Forgotten Realms, we couldn't really do a Beholder deck. But Mind Flayers in Magic... Are type horror, and we thought, okay, mind flayers play a big part of Baldur's Gate three. Horrors as an interesting creature type matters deck we haven't done before. Could we could we combine those two things together and do a blue black horror commander deck? And we tried it out, and it was pretty fun to build. Um, there's a lot of weird old horrors in Magic history, and um, you know a lot of them have to do with milling. So we're like, okay, we'll bring all this together under the banner of this like kind of milling blue black deck with a horror sub theme, uh, and so. Uh, it's pretty cool. You play, like I said, a very wide variety of horrors from throughout magic. Um, And what, if you're playing this deck, my biggest tip to you is even though the face commander, who I'll read off here in a second, mills your opponents, you're not trying to mill them down to zero cards. You're trying to mill them for some value. And then, um, you know, your cards will turn on because of it. So to read him off here, he's Captain Negathrod, you know, goes between worlds. He's a horror pirate. He's a pretty uh, cool looking mind flayer. Three blue, black for a three, six, he says, horrors you control have menace. So, of course, horrors are scary. We thought that was a great line of text. Whenever a horror you control deals combat damage to a player, that player mills that many cards. And then at the beginning of your end step, you choose target artifact or creature in an opponent's graveyard that was put there from their library this turn. And then you put it onto the battlefield under your control. <laughs> so every turn you get to mill a little bit. You get to take one cool thing that got milled this turn for yourself, an artifact or creature of your choice. You know, it makes sense. He's a horror pirate. He goes plundering. So, um, and there's that. And then all kinds of other cards in the deck synergize with your opponent milling cards.
0: Okay, very cool. Um... Yeah, it's funny. Whore is a uh, very catch-all. We've used it, like, Magic has, well, we, we call them in R&D catch-alls, because, like, oh, I don't know what to call it, so it's a beast. I'm not sure what to call it, so it's a whore that we just use, and whore has been one of the catch-alls we've used, like, since the very beginning, very early on, uh, so it's kind of cool to see whores kind of get their own deck.
1: Right, like for, for dating the the Phyrexian creature type, a lot of things that were flexing were just horrors, right? You know, you've got like Urza block, and you know, a lot of those in there. So um, yeah, they very. It's a very weird melange of creatures, and to me, it's part of the charm of Commander. Is like here's a bunch of weird cards you would not normally put in a deck together, but you met it under Captain Negathrod, they all make sense, which I, I think is pretty cool. Yeah, anything else cool in the deck that you you, you appreciate? I mean, there's a lot of cards that I really like, but I will tell a fun story about that I really like. So there's this card, so I, I, I was trying to figure out, like, not just Mind flares to do, although they made a lot of sense, but I was also trying to figure out um, other interesting forests in D&D that, that people love. So we got some, you know, some obscure ones in there. We got, um, uh, this says, called to Grell, it's like a, a big brain with a beak. We got this Uchilon, which is a crab ooze horror, pretty wacky type. Um, but there's one thing I thought would be awesome. I was, uh, I was like, you know what would be awesome is if we could do a dragon mind flayer. I wonder if in D&D anywhere there's ever been a dragon mind flare. And so I went over to Mike Morales, who is a, an encyclopedia of D&D knowledge, um, used to work on the D&D team, now works on magic. And I just went over to him and I was like, hey, Mike, do you know of, a, of any dragon mind flares? And without skipping a beat, Mike was like, oh, yes, of course. In this 2003 issue of Dragon Magazine, there's a story that talks about uh, the, the Brain Stealer Dragon, and so I was like, oh, I gotta have one of those. That sounds awesome. Um, so we uh, so we made a card Brain Steeler Dragon, which is inspired from this one story that was in a Dragon Magazine, because uh, we really wanted to have a horror dragon, and the card turned out awesome. It's a seven mana six six dragon horror with flying. At the beginning of your end step, you exile the top card of each opponent's library. You can play those cards for as long as they remain exiled, and you can spend mana over zo- any mana of any color to cast it, so a mana washes it for you. And then whenever a non-land permanent an opponent controls enters the battlefield under your control, they lose life equal to its mana value. So, when you steal their stuff, either with, say, Captain Negathrod or the Brain Stealer Dragon, they take damage as you take it. So, it really feels like this big, giant dragon is just taking your things, casting them, and dealing you damage. Really like a, like a mind flare for um, a dragon. So, uh, that was a design that has a funny story behind it and uh, tickled me a lot. Yeah, it's kind of cool.
0: Um, okay, so we, we now have the two decks that were non themes that weren't in the main set. So what were the two themes? So, well,
1: what's the first theme that was in the main set that you made a deck out of? First theme is we decided to make a deck that cared about adventures. Um, you know, the main set is brings back adventure from Eldraine, um, which was a perfect fit for D&D, right? You send stuff out on adventures and even has the twist this time of, um, so there's some equipment and artifacts with adventure, which is is pretty cool. Um, So we took that direction, and we started there, and then we kind of expanded it out a little bit to not just be about adventure. So we ended up with this deck called Exit from Exile, which is all about casting spells from exile. So, you know, suspend and... Uh, rebound, and of course adventure still. There's some cool new adventures in there too. And then it has this commander to kind of tie it all together. Uh, The commander is called Faldorn Dreadwolf Herald. It's one red green for a 3-3 human druid. Whenever you cast a spell from exile or a land enters the battlefield under your control from exile you make a 2-2 green wolf and then you can pay one mana tap, discard a card to exile the top card of your library, and you can play it this turn. And notably, of course, all the red bottling effects where you can exile your top card and play them work with this mechanic too. So it was a really great fit for red-green. and uh, yeah, so it, it's a really unique kind of deck because you can use adventures, like I mentioned before, but it also has you going through like every card in Magic to see, okay, what can cast from exile, right? What weird little mechanics are casting from exile, or um, you know, what to, what funny ways do I have to play lands from exile, or, or things like that. So there, there's a lot of fun to be had um, had with that mechanically here. And the deck ended up very, even though it plays with a lot of adventures and does have that kind of main set theme, it ended up playing a lot different than the main set theme does.
0: Yeah, there's a, it's it's interesting. One thing that's fun is when you make it open-ended, sometimes we'll make a mechanic and then we'll ask ourselves, "Oh, can we just not name it specifically and pull back a little bit and like, oh, that way it'll care about more things." Like I know um when I originally made um Pro- uh, proliferate, uh originally it only worked on minus 1 minus one counters and poison cuz it like the, the original flavor was like disease or something. And then I remember um team member uh, Mark Lobos, was like couldn't it just be all counters? And we're like, yeah, good, it could be all counters. Why, why are we restricting it? So it's fun when you sort of pull back and just make the mechanic you know, a little more broader. That's
1: a lesson I've definitely learned so many times in design of like, it's when you, you have your vision for what you want to do and let the players you know, do the thing that the set's intending, but Magic has so many different pieces, it's really fun when when people get to take it and do entirely different things they never expected, right? That's part of the fun of the game. So uh, your proliferate example is great, and here, like, yeah, you can do what the deck is telling you to do, or you can go find whatever your weird, weird old card is um, and do it with that, too. So uh, any particular cards in this deck that you sort of strike your fancy? Uh, I mean, my favorite part of this deck was just finding those old mechanics to do as one of You know, one of the cool things about Commander Decks is we can use whatever mechanics we want. I guess maybe not banding, right? But but for the most part, whatever mechanics we want. And so going back through um, the history of old mechanics, we made a new adventure, of course. We made a new suspend card. We made a called adventure fourth. It was one of my favorites. It's three energies for sorcery, where you exile cards from the top of your library until you hit a land. You put the land into play, the rest on the bottom, and then you exile venture force with, with three time counters and, and has to spend three for, for two mana so it just every three turns it's just going to catch from exile and get you, get you another land and this is modeled after a uh, cycle from future site right this this uh, recurring cycle that you've had in future site okay. and then we started doing a commander super cycle of these so we did a blue one and a red one already in previous commander decks that are resuspending. um and then we did uh this one here as, as the green entry in that cycle
0: I'll tell a, a real uh, quick story where this, where that mechanic came from, just because yeah, yeah. You're, you're hearing about something that I made long ago, is we originally uh, there's this, an, an unglued there's this card, it's called the double cycle, where you get to do something now and something next game um, and so we 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 wanted to put that in future site, it was going to be in the same match was the idea, and like, okay, you do something now, and then in the next game, in the same match with that player, you get this thing at the beginning of the game, and uh, digital came back to us and were like, we literally can't program that. Our games can't see each other. Like, it's, it's not even like it would take a lot of work. We, we physically can't do it. And so, like, okay, well, how because we really, it was future site, right? How do we sort of make things where you predict the future? And then we we came up with the idea of, oh, maybe we can use suspend and, like, we loop it so, like, it's just all, always going off. And so that that mechanic came out of it just not being able to do the thing we wanted to do first. And that was kind of our workaround to find another way to sort of like, you know, play things in the
1: future. That, that's a really fun story. I didn't know the history of discards, actually. I remember when I was a player when Futures that came out, and um, they really tickled me at the time. I thought it was cool to have a card that just slowly, every three turns, you get to come off of suspend, right? And, uh, there was there was a lot of fun fun to be had with those. Uh, one thing one thing I love about um, you know these these cycle the cycle that we're making here is I just love making super cycles across Magic products. It's a fun little thing I like to do. So of course like you've got the blue, red, and green ones now, and now players are speculating. Ooh, what is the what are the black and white ones gonna do? Right. So um, there's there's some fun there. And then finally just one one more card I want to call out is. No, another mechanic we tapped into is actually a recent one, Fortel, right? Fortel casts from Exile, which is good in time. So we have this card called Green Slime. It's one of my favorites. It's a uh, two green for a 2-2 two, two flash, and it's got Fortel for a G, so you can set it off to the side for two mana and cast it later for just single green mana. And when Green Slime enters the battlefield, you counter an activated or triggered ability from an artifact or an enchantment, and if uh, it counters a permanent ability, you get to destroy that permanent. So it's very much like your opponent activates their thing, and you're like, surprise, the green slime drops down and gets you. If you've ever played D&D for, I guess, a long enough time, you have probably encountered a green slime that has dropped on you in a dungeon and eaten your armor or something like that. So it was a great flavor fit, um, but also a very unique thing for green to do, right? Green doesn't get a lot of countering abilities. Um, so but this was a way we could do it where it felt green to, to do. Yeah, is this
0: the first time? I know green has countered activated abilities before. Usually it's on artifacts. Has it done enchantments
1: before? It might have. I don't know if it's an enchantment or anything. I think I think there's a dragon in this very set actually that has um, an adventure side where you get to counter uh, a triggered an activated triggered ability. But but in this bind is a card I always think about, which maybe counters an activated ability from invasion. But um but yeah that you know the idea here is they have an enchantment and it triggers and you play this and you, you counter it you counter the ability and, and kill it. Which um for green of course green hates artifacts and enchantments so very implied for it to destroy one of those. But yeah. a unique little twist to counter the ability too.
0: Okay, so let's get on to the fourth deck. Uh, So what was the theme of the fourth
1: deck? The fourth deck, okay. So the fourth deck, uh, the main set has um, three different dragon themes. So teamer, green, red, blue in the main set is all all about dragons. And when you're drafting the set, both green, blue, blue, red, and um, blue and uh, green, red are all about uh, dragons. And it's pretty cool, actually, because D&D is one of the few places where you have a world with small dragons, right? There are dragon running around, so you can actually have non-flying dragons. You can build three kinds of different kinds of dragon decks. So we thought, we started from a place of like, okay, well, let's think about doing a dragon deck. Maybe do something interesting here. And what we found was, we've done a couple dragon decks already, and literally with the last D&D set of decks, we did a dragon deck too. So we're like, well, okay, well, let's table the dragon deck thing for a second. Let's see what else is happening in the main set. And one thing um, that we've been doing a lot more, in fact, I made a video about this on Good Morning Magic a little bit ago, is GOAD, right? So GOAD is, we're calling it Commander Evergreen now, so it can show up um in like Commander main set. So you'll find it all around uh, Battle for Ballers Gate. And we're, what if we tried building a deck that cared about goad And and so we started there, and one of um one of my teammates, so the team for the set, I should say, I was the lead designer. And then I also had Ken Nagel, of course, design stalwart. He led the horrors of deck. I led the party deck, uh, but I ultimately led all the decks. But I was I was in charge of the party deck for a while. Ken led the horrors of deck. Daniel Holt, um, who I'm sure you have talked to before with Kamigawa, led um, led the red green deck. And then Noah Milrod, a name a lot of people don't know, who has unfortunately since left the company, but used to, we, got, we got him on loan from basically his other job at Wizards, I, I thought he was a great designer, would come in and help us out. He worked on this blue-red deck, and he had this interesting idea. Instead of making the deck about goad, like specifically the word goad, what if we made it about creatures that had to attack? And we actually had to rework with Jess. Um, Dunks, our rules manager, to uh, get this card to work. Um, but the front basic manner I'll read it off to you and then I'll explain what I mean. It's Rog, Cunning Instigator, three blue red for a 3 3 dragon. It's got dry, it's got haste. Whenever one or more dragons you control attack an opponent, go target creature that player controls. But here's the really interesting part to me. Whenever a creature deals combat damage to one of your opponents, if that creature had to attack this combat, you put a plus one plus one counter on Furkrog and you draw a card. So what that means, is of course it works with, with goat. So that works great. But any red creatures that have to attack every combat if able, it works with those. Any red cards that make your opponent's cards forced to attack, it, it works with those. Any blue cards that make your opponent's cards forced to attack, it works with those. So there's a lot of what so many different ways you can build this deck, right? If you want to make it a go deck, sure, go nuts. make it a go deck. But if you want to, you know, you can play this deck with a bunch of red creatures that have to attack every turn. Like your tatter, you know, you you're whenever you you red two one has to attack return or whatever and it'll also draw you cards off the program so there's a lot of very interesting ways to build this deck and you know Jess and I and actually Magic Online all had to get into a room and figure out how to word this make it work on on those products and change the rules a little bit but it's a really cool um, really cool design and inspires hopefully some new novel decks. Okay, so what what are some fun cards in this deck? Well, my favorite card in this deck uh, is a card. <laughs> As I always say, it's guaranteed that or it, it usually ends the game, but you're not sure who's going to win. And it's this card, Spectacular Showdown. It's one and a red for a sorcery. You put a double strike counter, so using that keyword counter technology. You put a double strike counter on target creature, and then go to each creature that had a double strike counter put on it this way. And then it has overload for seven mana. So the most common way this card is played is for seven mana, you give everything on the table a double strike counter and go to everything. And this card is hilarious because you cast it and then you attack and deal some damage, probably. And then everyone else attacks and maybe some players die or something. But then all those creatures still have double strike counters on them. So like then you're sitting there like, uh oh, it's, it's very red, right? You're like, all right, great, great effect right now. Next turn, uh oh, all their stuff has double strike and can attack me next turn. What am I going to do about it? And um, this card was a blast. Everyone uh, enjoyed playing with this card. And it was, it was a huge favorite for us out of, out of these decks. Um, but yeah, one other card I want to call out that I was really happy to get in here is, so Jules Robbins led the design of Adventures in the Forgotten Realms, or led the final design of it, at least, and we made those class cards, you know, all these different classes. Well, he made one for all the D&D classes that were, like, the main ones, but he didn't make one for Artificer class, which was an expansion of, um, of D&D. It was an expansion book for D&D. And so Jules reached out to me and was like, hey, you're working on the Commander decks, could you make an artificer class to kind of fill that missing gap and i was like oh that sounds really cool so i went into the tank we did a bunch of iterating on it and we came up with um the missing artificer class which players have asked me for since adventures in the forgotten realms i'm sure you get questions about it sometimes too um it's a it's a one and a blue for a class so the way these work if you don't remember them from adventures in the forgotten realms is they start with an ability and then they level up you pay some mana to level them up and get another effect or ability so it's one and a blue for an enchantment class the first Artifact spell you cast each turn costs one less. So once it's in play, your first Artifact always costs you one less. Then for one and a blue, you can go to level two. And when it becomes level two, you get to flip cards from the top of your deck until you find an Artifact. You put the Artifact into your hand and the rest on the bottom of your library. And then for six mana, for five and a blue, you can kick it up to level three. And this is really exciting, which says at the beginning of your end step, you create a token that's a copy of target Artifact you control. So it tells a little story, right? You get to play your Artifacts for cheaper, you get to find an Artifact... And then every turn, you get to copy one of your artifacts. And um, I I think this is going to be a hot card from this set. And I'm happy we got to get Artificer Class in here. Some players have asked me why this deck for it, by the way. And my answer is, first of all, this deck actually does have a decent amount of artifacts. But two, the blue-red Goad deck, Goad is really good about getting down to two players. but It's very bad at actually winning a game. Um, And so having a card that would give you an advantage every single turn on that last mode to help get you to win the game was a really important uh, piece of the puzzle here. So uh, that's Artificer Class.
0: Also there are, there are only two blue decks, right?
1: I mean, if right. this or whores, so right? Of, one two decks. It
0: makes a lot <laughs> more sense here than the, than the now. Okay, so here's a question I have. Um, one of the things that's interesting when you're working in another IP, right? This is this is D and D. of like the the four main characters, how did you find the characters? Like how did you figure out what character like gets to be... Because a lot of what you're saying is is very mechanical, right? Oh, we wanted to make right. a deck that did this mechanical thing. How did you find the characters? How did you figure that out?
1: Yeah, so I'll say when it comes to the flavor of things, uh, the legendary face characters were mostly bottom-up. I'll get to how that works in a second. And then the other cards that were in the deck were pretty top-down. So I'll talk about the legends first. So the legends, what we did, is we came up with like the shape, generally what we wanted the card to kind of do. Like, hey, this is going to be a blue-red dragon that cares about goading. Or... Hey, this is going to be a red green character that wants to do, that gives you tokens when you cast stuff from exile. Then we went to the creative team and we looked through Baldur's Gate lore and we're like, okay, what are some characters that could be a good fit for this? So then we, we chose the character and then we went back to our design and said, okay, given this character, what can we do to make it feel a little bit more like that character? Like Nalia Diaranis is a great example where we have this future site commander. We're like, okay, well, we want a rogue future site commander. So we looked at our options, we're like Nalia makes a lot of sense for this because she's a rogue that's trying to um, create a band of people from Baldur's Gate. So that was a lot of sense, a party, if you will. And um, that, But then um, on the last ability, it originally didn't grant Death Touch, it granted some other ability. It granted Menace or something, I think. And we're like, oh, we should make this Death Touch because she's a rogue, right? So it makes a lot more sense for this character given what she does in the game. So it was kind of like a uh, we came up with the original base, we found the character, and we tweaked the card based on based on the character that we chose so the like i said the front facing commanders were a lot more bottom-up but a lot of the uh, non-legendary new cards were very top-down we're just like hey we want to make an avalanx like this is a cool dnd monster we didn't make one before what kind of thing could we do here for this hey let's make a party person that recruits people right that just like is, is in town researching for new party members um so we want to make it want to make a card called the Laid Delayed Blast Fireball. We couldn't get that in Adventures in the Ground Realms. We couldn't get that here uh, in the main set. And I thought, okay, the commander has a perfect place for it. Unfortunately, the Fortell mechanic, which is on Delayed Blast Fireball, ended up being a really great fit for for that spell in d and So a lot of those cards were very top-down. Um, so it was an interesting mix there.
0: Yeah, the, the, the thing that's really fun, I mean... The thing that I like a lot about the Baldur's Gate in general is, if you don't know Baldur's Gate, they're, they're kind of just cool characters. But if you know Baldur's Gate, like you can recognize them. So like, that's, it, it's definitely, it plays on two different levels. One of the challenges of working with other IPs is, hey, if you know nothing, it needs to be compelling and cool. But if you know something, it also wants, you know, it has that next level of, oh, I get
1: it, it's this. Lenticular design. I said it over and over again, it's a great term you came up with in one of your articles, Mark. But lenticular design really is, I think, the key to a lot of this, this cross-IP stuff. And you know, D&D is like barely cross-IP, but just you know, showing people a card that's like, if you get it, that's awesome. But if you don't, it's still cool, is uh, really, really important. And I think a lot of these cards just, just will work that way. There's a few exceptions. There's a couple cards in the set that maybe are a little more esoteric. But for the most part, you can look at one of these cards and just kind of, kind of get what's going on, which is great.
0: So anyway, I, I can see my desk from here, so we're, we've got to wrap this up. So any final thoughts on
1: the Commander on the commander decks? You know, I'll, I'll just say that um, this was a really cool project to work on. You know, it was, it was the first time that we've done four Commander decks associated with um, an ancillary set like this. And uh, it was fun to kind of create the Biodome and get to pull some really fun D&D-themed stuff, uh, D&D stuff for it. So, um, you know, I, I had a blast working on, on them. And I just hope you all enjoy them a ton. If you want, tweet, it, tweet me at Gavin Verhey with what your favorite uh, favorite cards are. I'd love to hear from it. Um, and I'm just really happy that they have to get together. I think one thing you're going to see us doing is, I've got really good feedback on here, are the more unique themes. So one thing I've been thinking about are what are some very different feeling themes we could be doing future Commander products um, instead of just you know artifacts again or something. Um, and other than that, just have to wait and see. We have a lot of cool Commander stuff in store. And I can't wait for you to see the rest of what we have this year. Um, I was the lead designer on some other stuff coming up this year, so so stay tuned for that.
0: Yeah, one of the things that's very fun is I was uh, in the pit the other day, and I'm just hearing them play a game on a future product that no one knows about. But the just it was clear the themes were very, very different from anything I've heard before. So there definitely is a lot of really cool and crazy stuff coming. So yeah, for sure. Yeah, I,
1: it is really an exciting time to be a Magic player. Like there's some neat stuff going down the pipeline. I can't wait to tell you all about it. But uh, that's for another podcast, I suppose. Okay, anyways, well, thank you, Gavin. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure to be
0: here. Anytime you want me to be back,
1: Mark. Always happy to drive for our desks to not work with
0: you. <laughs> but, guys, I can see my desk, so we all know what that means. This is the end of my drive to work. So instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. So thanks, Gavin, for being with us. And all yeah, of you. Talk with you all soon. I'll see you all next time. Bye-bye.